Ciao amici mie, benvenuti nel weekend e crombies. Questo mese guarderemo il gran silenzio. Dear listener, to season three, episode 11 of Weekend at Crombies. I am Hugh. It would be great if you could come over every now and then and pour me my coffee. <laughs> and my name is Dr. James Evans Esquire. Calm down, friends. Since when were wolves afraid of wolves? And as you may have gathered from the uh, spirited introduction to this episode, Indeed. we will be uh, doing, I believe, our first foreign language film, fully foreign language film. Well, what about Read My Lips? That was, they sang in English, such as it was English and singing. No, Read My Lips with... Um... Oh, Read My Lips. Sorry, I was thinking of the other one. Read My Lips, you know what? <laughs> it's our second full foreign language film. To our second. James is going very continental. I forgot about Read My Lips. Yeah, it's the um, it's the second this year, in fact. Disregard what I said, dear listener. <laughs> Unless this is your first time, in which case it is for you, our first foreign language film. It's nice to know that Hugh takes the effort to reminisce and soak into each episode of Weekend at Combis that we produce. That not three months ago we had our first fully foreign language film in Read My Lips. This is our second full foreign language film. Well, I'll tell you what, I enjoyed reading my lips so much, I'd forgotten it was like watching an English film. <laughs> it's our first Italian film. Our first Italian film. Our first spaghetti western. Indeed, indeed. For, uh, for this month, we, are, we have been watching Il Grande Silenzio. Yeah. The Great Silence. The Great Silence, to give it its pedestrian name. <laughs> so, James, you chose this film. Would you like to lead off into, into what exactly The Great Silence is? It's, uh, it's quite an old film uh, by our standards. It is. It is 1968. Sergio Corbucci. Um, quite, Which quite doesn't seem that old, but is in fact no, like 52 years ago. I was just thinking when I watch, whenever I watch films from the 60s, and I see actors and actresses in those films, I, you'd think most of them are dead. <laughs> I mean, although it has to be said, um, um, the guy that plays Silence um, was his name, Jean. Um, I can't remember what his name is now. Jean, he's a very famous French actor. He's still alive and very much uh, very famous French actor. Anyway, anyway we, we will get on to this. We will yeah. get on to these. So tell us so, about The Great Silence. Yeah, so The Great Silence, Il Gran Silenzio. Um, so it's a, a, a spaghetti western, as uh, Hugh has highlighted. So we, we begin with a, um, when, when, when the camera comes up, when, when, when we start the film, our eyes are... Um, kind of burnt with the sun uh, shining down on what we perhaps initially believe to be a, uh, a sun-swept landscape, but actually turns out to be the bitter cold of the Utah mountains. And it is, in a true revisionist form, a spaghetti western which is set in the deepest and darkest of winters. Yeah, so it's not the sun-baked plains of, of New Mexico. It is, it is snow-drenched Utah in the great blizzard of 1899. Yeah, the great and blizzard of 1899. it's very, very blizzardy. It's very blizzardy. <laughs> and I tell you what, it looks cold. Yeah. Oh, man alive. Um, Quite uh, beautiful, actually. We'll come on to the cinematography. But it's, yeah. I mean, the, the snow vistas are shown with, you know, with equal reverence as, say, a sun-baked plain would be. It's, it's, it's very look, nice, yeah. as long as you're not in it at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we, we're, in, we're introduced... 
immediately to our 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 hero, I guess, Silence Silenzio, yeah, who um, who we we learn is working with uh, a, a number of um, outlaws or bandits, I suppose, um, who, who are um, who are well work, working with is maybe too strong a word, but but is is at least defending himself against uh, a number of bounty hunters who are searching for some bandits um, yeah, outside there's, of there's... a town called Snow Hill. Yeah, the situation is you have to piece it together as the film goes along. But essentially, it seems that, uh, again, due to this great blizzard and the famine they're in, a lot of people have been forced out simply by the the, the money men and the the bankers and kind of the the, the store owners into essential poverty and having to steal to survive. So they, these outlaws, they say, living in the hills, aren't particularly um, ill-spirited. They're just desperate to survive. And yeah. but because they are outside the law, um, these bounty hunters are coming into the uh, the region to kill them or bring them in dead or alive mostly dead essentially harvesting them and, and getting paid quite a lot of money for doing so um again there's there's rumors of an amnesty that will come in from the governor that will you know end end this cycle of violence so actually the the bounty hunters are incentivized to get as many outlaws in their pocket as possible uh, and yeah so- and as, as the film goes on you realize it's a little bit of a racket because um yeah. One one of the one of the key kind of players in in Snow Hill that the the the, the main banker called Henry Pollicut is um, is uh, in, enforcing the poverty on these individuals by forcing them out and then putting a bounty on their heads for the bounty hunters to then come in and as Hugh says dead or alive take them back to the town to collect their winnings I yeah. suppose of which then Pollicut uh, takes he, a cut. He takes he, yeah, he, for, he, uh, he loans the government the money to pay the bounty hunters, so he gets paid for paying them. So he's making money off the people he impoverished, whilst the bounty hunters were also killing them to do that. So you're right, it's a complete racket. Um, yeah. And in this in this maelstrom of corruption, um, we see Silenzio, uh, who is um, defending himself, shall we say, against one of the bounty uh, one one of the bounty hunters who are. Who been, are I think he's been contracted to do this though, because they they he's, yeah. he's pally with the bounty, so he he's basically trotting along. And there's sort of four or five bounty hunters waiting in ambush for him. Um, he immediately smells a rat because he sees uh, the birds are disturbed. So he whips out his trusty uh, broom-handled mauser and mm. pow, 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 basically kills them all <laughs> very quickly and efficiently um, before any of them have any chance to do anything. Except for one guy who uh, sees sense and immediately surrenders rather yeah. than getting gunned down. Um, yeah. And Silenzio, uh, should we say mercifully, shoots his thumbs off. Yeah, and that's uh, kind of, that's his moniker, isn't it? He, he, yeah. He tends to shoot the thumbs off his victims so that they're unable to um, sling a gun anymore. Yeah, um, but then the, actually the, the the rebels turn up and kill the guy anyway because they yeah. thought he was in danger and they uh, they mentioned that you know they should have just let him live because Silenzio had already neutered him. But um, but that's when they they have a chat about you know Silenzio has saved them, so Silenzio kind of takes his reward and and trots off. Um, and a couple of them decide, look, we've had enough waiting for the amnesty. We're going to turn ourselves in and we'll wait for the amnesty in jail because it's horrible here. So about three of them break from the main pack um, and, and head in for town. I thought we were going to follow these three, but it turns out we don't follow them for long um, because one of them turns up um, to, to his mother who's waiting for him. Um, but yeah. also his mother has... I guess been tricked into giving uh, shelter to a couple of bounty hunters. Um, One of whom is Tigrero, Tigrero. Um, also known as Loco, uh, who, whose name befits him. It should be said. Um, Magnificently played by uh, uh, Klaus Kinski. Kinski. 
Yeah, Klaus Kinski, who who uh, regular um, listeners to um, Weekend at Crombies will, will will probably have seen films like Aguirre, Wrath of God in the past, or Nosferatu, the the Werner Herzog remake. They they they're well within the canon of a Weekend at Crombies type yeah. film, and he, he he has quite an extraordinary looking face, um, and is wearing the most extraordinary kind of gender neutral outfit he's, he's an incredible he's an incredible figure in this film but anyway we've got yeah. klaus kinski who's there at the house of, of one of these um uh, outlaws or rebels that have come back and you know mercilessly shoots him uh, well he doesn't shoot him actually his colleague shoots him doesn't he he's, yeah. and um uh but but you know we we realize at that point in time that um tigrero is isn't someone to be messed with yeah so Tigrero then goes off in search of the other guys. Um, when, yeah. And he finds another one of the runaways and is with his wife. Um, so he basically again gets hold of the wife and says, you know, come out and surrender yourself if you want to live. He surrenders himself and he's immediately killed. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is James and Pauline, which is <laughs> not, not, very, and Pauline. Not, very, not very spaghetti Western, but there we go. James, James and Pauline. Yeah, so poor James, poor James is killed and Pauline is instructed not to bury him because he's coming back for the bounty on him. Yeah, that's right. Um, but Pauline nonetheless buries, uh, buries James because she's a devoted wife. Um, but Tagiro, again, he's basically just, uh, if, he actually, he's, he's hunting down these people and then he's burying them in the snowdrifts so they'll keep fresh when he gathers them all up and brings them back into into town to collect his bounty on them because he would need to keep their, he basically, he can kill them dead, he can bring them in dead or alive, but dead is much more manageable. So he's just killing them out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, in this, there's quite a few, uh, there's quite a few, Kind of conversations throughout the film about the rule of law and the fact that that yeah. the, the, the law provides the offer of dead or alive and dead is just easier yeah um and in the meantime um so uh we have kind of all these characters congregate around a stagecoach because uh, silenzio's horse has now died in the snow so he's had to walk the rest of the way into this stagecoach station mm. um whereupon the the mother of the the murdered outlaw uh, beseeches him to take revenge and you know, she can offer him a horse in in terms of in, in payment um so then uh yeah. so silenzio basically provokes a fight with this other killer whose name i don't know but basically is is seen um mercilessly devouring a chicken um there's this most yeah. <laughs> say, it's grim isn't it it's disgusting and, yeah because he, he basically just is this greasy roast chicken he just sinks his hands into it and crams it into his face and he's tearing it apart and he's like it's kind of like if you were really drunk and going at a kfc bucket and didn't actually know which bits you're eating that would probably be the closest you get to but this yeah. guy is you know he's wiping the grease on his coat and he's he's horrible um and he's it's like the worst it's like the worst henry the eighth impression isn't it like this guy <laughs> taking a leg of chicken and just grim but it's worse than that as well because the skin's on it he's dripping down his he's got a beard and it's all in his beard and oh it's horrible I am genuinely curious to see how many takes that took and how the actor <laughs> felt at the end of it because they maybe just had a line of roast chickens and you know um and uh, he eats it all as well, doesn't he? I mean, he eats the whole chicken in that scene, really. You know, and Bobucci is just saying, "Bring on another chicken." It's like, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. He's out the back, just <laughs> fingers down his throat. <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, he's actually, he's always complaining about how he can eat and eat and he never gets, he's always cold, he can never get warm. And of course, yeah. Silenzio kicks the door open and, scores it. and this guy is a bit of a brute, just saying, if you don't close that door, I'm going to kill you. Um, and which is a, 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 an aggressive way to get the door closed. But he turns around and draws, at which point Silenzio, having been drawn upon, is within mm. his rights to defend himself and kills him. And this, and this again, is what it, Silenzio does, isn't it? He, he, will, he doesn't shoot unless he is drawn upon. Which, so he can claim self-defense, which gives you legal, legal, yeah, legal cover for defending yourself, so he can kill. And but he, he is in a sense a bounty hunter, albeit a righteous one. He will, he will take payment to kill 
other bounty hunters. Um, but he kind of he'll do it in a good cause. But nevertheless, he gets paid. So he's now on the stage. Um, so he now goes on the stagecoach, having made his 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 money. Um, the stagecoach heading to Snow Hill. Also, well, on the should, stage. Should, well, we should we should also point out this uh, at this stage. We must be about 20, 20 minutes in or so. He's not said a word. He is befitting his title of silence. Although his name is apparently because he's called the silence because the death, the silence of death follows him. Yeah. Um, but it's not but also on this stagecoach is uh the sheriff the new sheriff yeah. of snow hill who's been sent there by the governor he i find him quite interesting character we can dip, dip into yeah. what he does later on but he's he's firstly um he's seen as a, a bit of like a good-natured buffoon because he manages yes. to he, he talks to the governor the governor is clearly a bad the governor is like clearly the uh the the, the rot at the heart of all this um, and the, he managed, the sheriff managed to put his foot in it a few times, saying, "You know, you would, you'd, you'd pardon anybody if you got you elected governor, wouldn't you? Ha ha ha! Would you say? Oh, sorry about that, governor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah he, he comes across at the start as a bit of a buffoon, but yeah. he actually ends up being quite moral and principled. Yeah, uh, yeah. As, as, as the sheriff, so he's Gideon Burnett. Yeah. Um, see, if so Burnett actually Burnett's first encounter is with the the outlaws, um, mm-hmm. who managed to. Uh, to ambush him and take his horse. He tries to defend himself, um, but he finds his gun is frozen in the snow, and he was prepared to club himself, club, defend it with a club yeah. by turning the gun around. So he's not he's not a, a cowardly man, but he nonetheless gets the outlaws get the better of him and take his horse to eat it and send him on his way. And we've got so, to remember, when, if for any eager, um, just for, for for listeners of 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 the the podcast, that when we say the outlaws, we're not talking about the bounty hunters. We're we're talking about the the rebels, the outlaws. So there's lots of there's lots of groups of characters in this early part of the film. So it's um. The bounty hunters are the bad guys. The rebels are kind of the bad guys, but not really. Yeah. And then you've got Silencio, who's also kind of a bad guy, but not really either. I suppose that's very similar to most spaghetti westerns. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So having lost his horse, he then joins up with Silencio in taking the stagecoach to Snow Hill. And the third passenger is Tiguero, who comes along um, with his throwing, bodies. throwing dead bodies on the roof <laughs> to, to take yeah. to Snow Hill. Yeah, to at which point the sheriff comes out and says, you can't do that. It's not an appropriate way to to carry the dead. You you need coffins and stuff. And he said, "Well, you know, they're, they're, it's it's like minus forty at it." And yeah, you know, there's a there's a stinking blizzard happening oh, yeah. in all of this. Always. And interestingly, in fact, it's the sheriff, um, Burdett and and Tigrero who really rub against each other wrongly. It's um, Silencio is just sitting in the coach again, silent and not really engaging. It's the sheriff and Tigrero who are really because I think they uh. You know, he comes out brandishing his badge. He goes, I'm the sheriff. Oh, really? I thought you were a pig farmer disguised as a sheriff. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> about, I mean you're going to rub up against someone the wrong way if that's your opening gambit, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> you're, what? <laughs> you, I'm, you just call me a pig farmer. We don't even know who you are. No, no, it's, just, it's like he just got on the bus and he's like, what? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, and in fact, as, as they chat in the in the in the stagecoach, and Tigre reveals, you know, he's the bounty hunter. The sheriff does not like this situation. Again, he will uphold it because he knows it's the law, but he's not terribly keen on the fact that again, Tigre is just killing people for money, and the law is having to enforce and uphold this. So he uh, he kind of he he will pull any kind of uh, he just tries to get under his skin a bit. Like he confiscates his money because it, there's a, a legal loophole to be sorted out first and he has to return it to him. But he's basically getting in his face and, and being a bit of a pain to him just because he doesn't like him that much. Um, it's a good scene because in, in, in the stagecoach, you effectively have the three protagonists. Yeah. I suppose m- minus minus Pauline, the, the, the wife of, 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 of James, who becomes more of a, a protagonist yeah. as, we, as we go through the film. But, but you've got those three key players within snow hill all in the stagecoach going into snow hill it's, it's, it's quite nicely played in that context yeah all of which actually have quite different um 
perspectives. Like, you know, they, they, they all sort of hold up the law. They've all got, again, mm. they're all, I think, ostensibly following the law. Again, Trigero is, is a bounty hunter for the law. The sheriff is the law. Um, yeah. Silencio is a, is a kind of... Um, he's a moralistic. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. a moral law. Yeah. Yeah. And yet all of them, in some sense, are rather bad. And again, the sheriff is a representative of all that is wrong. Trigero is actually a cool, cold-blooded killer. Um and yeah, Silencio is a is a vigilante. Um, actually, yeah. we've to to go in order to find James. Has actually managed to to drag someone else around to the snow and kill them too. He basically there's a lot of like I'll let you go if you tell me the truth. I'll tell you the truth. I'll kill you. So this this is yeah. to yeah. of just randomly killing people as they come yeah. along. Um, but as they now arrive in Snow Hill, this is this is where the the, the fulcrum of the thing happens. Is um, Silencio is a I think there's a the scene where a lot of potatoes are being shot. Um, Silencio is practicing his <laughs> literally. Um, yeah, he uh, he throws you know, potatoes in the air and pow, 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 he shoots them through the middle. And we find yeah. out the sheriff is a pretty good aim too because he's he's like yeah he's <laughs> he's throwing potatoes and shooting them too. Um, <laughs> but he got holes in them and they, he's he's shooting them into little bits and then still getting the holes in them. It reminded me of the scene in Quigley Down Under, yeah. where um where uh, uh, Tom Selleck's Quigley um, takes the bucket and then he, he walks like a mile <laughs> and then he walks a mile further. Yeah, and then um, you know he says no a bit further, a bit further, and then he shoots it, and then you've you've got obviously Alan Rickman who can't do it, and you've got um, uh, Tom Selleck who does. It's a bit like you know who who has got the biggest gun. Metaphorically. I, actually, I was more minded of the scene in um, in True Grit um, when uh, Jeff uh, Jeff Bridges is is flailing around throwing yes. cornbread in the air and blazing away, unable <laughs> yes. to hit anything, but he's, he's yeah. determined to to keep going and just flinging <laughs> food high in there. You're like I'll shoot it, I'll shoot it, look at me. Yeah. Um, it's like more serious. That, but we actually, it is interesting when he examines against Lenzio's gun that it's it's a machine pistol. Um, it's semi-automatic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very it's the kind of thing you'd expect in a World War One German officer because it's that kind yeah. of it's, it evolves no kind of you know revolver type reloading, which is, um, those again, like those type of weapons are often used in movies to portray the the passage of time. Like the the old west is already moving on because yeah. you don't just have one guy with a six shooter, you know, and, and all down to his skill. Silenzio has a a mechanized weapon. Oh, that's like, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, it it takes a little bit of the mystique away from Silenzio because he, he, he his his quickness yeah. is technology driven in part. I mean, he's also a very good shot, but it's yeah, technology driven rather than some of the kind of some of the kind of proper heroes who would have this kind of supernatural superhero type ability to shoot quick on the draw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, it was used in things like say um, the wild bunch again, when actually you have cowboys carrying Colt, Colt automatics yeah. and, and getting machine gun and this kind of stuff. There's, there's a, so that's, I think a deliberate point to it. Um, but uh, notwithstanding, Silenzio was quickly uh, recruited by Pauline to avenge uh, her dead husband. Um, and uh, he, he does his normal trick. If he, he moseys into a, uh, the bar where Tigrero is, is playing cards and uh, and flicks his his spent match into Tigrero's uh, um, whiskey. Uh, Tigrero is actually wise to this trick and is not about mm. to be provoked. Uh, although they do end up having a fist fight, they end up punching each other a little bit. Um, yeah. And and poor Silencio splits his lip. He does. Oh no, it's not. It's 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 um, Tigrero splits his lip, doesn't he? Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Silencio manages to land in a good punch and knock um, Tigrero yeah. right through the wall. <laughs> so yeah, gets in a good shot. Yeah. Um, and I think at that point, yeah, all of Tigrero's gaming partners rather unwisely draw their pistols and are immediately gunned down by Silenzio. Um, yeah. And at which point Tigrero reaches for his, uh, his pistol has been knocked on the ground where he threw it away so he wouldn't be provoked. He reaches for it, but it is, it is 
shot aside by the sheriff who's arrived. Um, arrest him. Who arrest him. I will say, actually, this was a bit of a, a thin point, given that Tigero was reaching for a gun. He wasn't drawing or pointing or anything. <laughs> no, no, the yeah. sheriff is literally like, I've got you now. That's attempted yeah. murder. You're going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> and he grabs Tigero and, and puts him in the cell and he's cutting him off to prison. So he really like, doesn't... We're not just jail. He's, he's going to Tanopa. Yeah, yeah. He, he takes yeah, him out of the big jail. He's in a big jail. He's going to big boys jail. And it's, it's like... <laughs> I mean, if he thought he was a troublemaker, I can understand a sheriff putting him in the cells. Yeah. But he, this is really, he was really cunning for him. <laughs> um, it's notwithstanding, Tigrero is now, um, is, is now being, is in prison. Um, the, his, his accompanist, Polycat, the banker, tries to in, in, intimidate the sheriff and, and buy him out, but he's not having any of it. Um, and uh, Silenzio, who's been shot in the shoulder during this big shootout, uh, has had to go off to be tended to by Pauline. And uh, would you believe it? As as you know, she uh, she nurses him back to health, you know, and slowly removes his clothes so she can sponge his wounds. They uh, they fall into a love scene. Um, they do. They do. She but she's got a yeah. thing for Tigero. At which point we discover um, that yeah. Silenzio is uh, is silent not just because he's mean and moody, but because his throat was cut um, as a child. Because we flash by, by none other than Henry Pollicut. By none other than Henry Pollicut, because uh, Silenzio's uh, father, who again <laughs> was was just trying to surrender, but was gunned down by the sh- by the sheriff, um, and and the orders of Pollicut, and they shoot um, Silenzio's father and his mother, and then they, Silenzio's only a little boy at this time, you know, kind of crying and wailing, and they, uh, the sheriff then draws an enormous knife, saying, "We'll make sure <laughs> he never tells anyone." So mm. he spares his life, but it renders him mute forever. Yeah, I presume he can't write because I'd have chopped his hands off as well. That's true, yes. Maybe. <laughs> but that wouldn't have made a very good spaghetti western. <laughs> I suppose if he, he can't talk and he doesn't have any hands. Yeah, well, he's pulling with clamps then rather than Silenzio. He's not quite as dramatic. <laughs> oh, clamps. il clampo! <laughs> il clampo is here. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, stumpy! Para clamp, para clamp. Um... But notwithstanding, so now, now we know that Silenzio again. Ha, what, what drives Silenzio? Um, and because uh, he, he falls in, into the into Pauline's bed, and they were all very happy there. Um, it's not it's not sordid though. There, there's a gen, genuine tenderness there, you know. I mean, despite the fact that um, Pauline's husband has been dead for about a day. Well, you, you, see, know. you sense they're, they're both kind of wounded souls. That's what you're getting from yeah, it. It wasn't like exactly. they just they fell for each other immediately. It's like they're both yeah. just a bit messed up, and they wanted a bit of comfort in each other's arms. And um, one one of the reasons why I mean this has been this has been mooted before because Pauline can't afford to pay the the the, the um, I was going to say dowry then, but, but the, the down payment on on, on Silenzio yeah. because she can't sell her house because um, Polycut, who who she offers the house to, won't buy it unless. She uh, she offers her body to him, and she obviously won't. So she ends up offering her body to Silenzio, who, without saying it, effectively refuses yeah. that. But then ends up ends up getting it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it all worked out for him quite well. <laughs> yes, actually, yeah, speaking of romances, there's quite a, a sweet little one between um, the sheriff and uh, and the local madam of the of the the brothel, um, Regina. <laughs> Who comes yeah. over and has a little chat with him about again pouring a cup of coffee and it's, he's quite he's a bit abashed you know she's uh she and she's not being overly forward either they're just kind of like tiptoeing around each other they, they you know they they're both it's almost the beginnings, isn't it? it's the beginnings of, yeah. a, of a long friendship like they're in their middle-aged both of them and it fe- feels like they, yeah, they could just settle down nicely um yeah. 
again, and this is this is where the show is such a fun character because he's, you know, he's managed to get one over one to go. He's managed to take him prisoner. He's put him in jail. You know, he's he's dominating himself, and he's, he's and and I uh, think Tigrero makes some some innocuous comment or some rude comment about the vagina, at which point the chef just goes up. I'll teach you to insult a lady and punches him. But manages yeah. to punch the jail bar instead. <laughs> slapstick member because you know, he's yeah. shaking his hand and going, oh my god that hurt so much <laughs> yeah it's goofy yeah um, but so uh the situation right now is that the sheriff is going to haul Tigrero off to, to big jail um and uh he's also actually he's basically worked out that the outlaws which they, you know they're the, the town is apparently in terror of are not really dangerous they're just starving so the outlaws will stop attacking them if they get a big wagon of food and leave it outside the town for them to eat um so he's actually yeah. again he's what he's not only trying to keep order and has seen to go for what he is he's actually got quite a keen eye into how to just diffuse the whole situation mm. he's a he's, socialist this is the interesting is. about sir because yeah we see him first with the villainous governor he's he is a yeah. sheriff which is generally not always positive character especially in spaghetti yeah. westerns but he's, he's he's trying to do his a job under difficult circumstances and he's not doing a terrible job of it um, no. until actually he comes to escort to gear on his last ride oh, when, no. um, when uh <laughs> firstly they face down the outlaws who want to kill to because he's been killing lots of them um the sheriff possibly unwisely saves to life and, and says i'm yeah. taking him to be tried um but you guys go and get your wagon of food and, you know it's over wait for the amnesty get your food see out the winter we'll all get through this okay um and then Tagura just goes, can I go by this way instead? And the chef goes, yeah, I don't care which way we go as long as you get to jail. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think you should be listening to him. I think you should pick the route. <laughs> because sure enough, uh, Tagura, after making a little yeah. excuse to go off and relieve himself, happens to find a gun that he's buried in the snow. Yeah. Um, which we should no, point out. Despite I'm, that surprised they, that, I'm surprised that didn't jam. You know what? I thought exactly the same thing. They made a huge point in the movie about you've got to keep your guns warm or they yeah. won't fire. So. Yeah. I'm going to say that Tagero, it was foresight enough to have a hot water bottle in there with it. Tagero <laughs> would do that, wouldn't he? He's so yeah. mean. The mean yeah. bastard is yeah. <laughs> So Tagero, basically, again, he also, I think the sheriff goes, you know, you kill me and you're done for. And Tagero is obviously wise enough to just back him up onto the ice and then shoot the ice around him. So splosh, down goes the sheriff and that's the end of him. Um, so Tagero is now free to regroup um, and and get back on the case. So he goes to um, another group of bounty hunters because Silenzio has killed all the ones in Snow Hill. Um, in, in kind of like an out, like a um, an out barn or a hideaway in the middle of in the middle of nowhere. It's like a bounty hunter supper club. It's, 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 isn't it? Yeah. yeah. What's the what's the hotel in John Wick? I do not know. I've never seen John see, Wick. Like, it's like the hotel in John Wick where all of the villains go. And they're allowed this, you know, they're allowed to go there. It's that kind of thing. And this is where he, this this is where he he bursts in and goes, "Calm down, friends, since when were wolves afraid of wolves?" Takira gets good lines. Oh, he does. He does get good lines. It's not, my favorite. My favorite line in the film is by Pollock, though, and it's it's a similar thing where um, where where Burnett does say, you know, get 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 the food on the wagon, set it outside of town so that the the outlaws can eat it, and then Pollock says, "So now these bandits are going to have to be fought with bread and butter." When are we going to see some law and common sense in this town? And then Regina says, when someone hangs you. Ah, that's great, guys. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, again, the Tugiro reveals himself of uh, you know a fresh revolver and a horse. So I've got to be thinking there's some bounty hunter left there who didn't get to ride out with him because someone's <laughs> yeah. taken his gun and his horse. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but half a dozen bounty hunters, um, one of which, again, it is said, you know, it was the brother of the guy that Silenzio just gunned down, so he's extra keen to fight him. So they all, Schmidt, yeah. So they all, they all ride off. Um, to basically round up the uh, 
because they, they know there's going to be a, a wagon of food and all the outlaws. So they go and round up them, so they catch them by surprise. Meanwhile... They've uh, into their deaths, haven't they? Kind of. Yeah, you know, they're yeah. just that, they're, 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 they're easy prey. Yeah, but yeah, you can understand that because the uh, it's made very clear that hunger is playing a big motivating factor yeah. in, in all this. Yeah. You know? um, so they, they would have gone for a food. And the sheriff actually gives him his word that it's safe to do so. So... Um, it's a shame he didn't work out. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, uh, well, you know, with with no law in town now, Pollocket and his biggest henchmen have gone to pay a visit to Pauline um, and Silenzio. Uh, and as again, predictably, it goes. Silenzio is uh, well, he's, he's overpowered because he's currently wounded and taken by surprise. And uh, the henchman sticks his right hand on the fire and burns it charcoal black. Um, yeah. Looks nice. It is quite interesting that, yeah, where, where you'd expect a scream, you just get Silenzio's face in agony and a, and a yeah. voiceless scream, which hurts more, to be honest, to see it. it does, yeah. Um, and again, um, as Pollocat is crawling all over Pauline and about to ravish her, Silenzio manages to you know, get the better of the henchmen and gun them both down. So that's that done. I think at this point, Pollocat points out his missing thumb because we then flash back to uh, a young Silenzio, um, yeah. who's who, no longer a little boy, but he's grown up to be a young man, is gunning down the sheriff um, who... who who muted him, who, who mutilated him and killed his parents. And then Pollocat is there who gets his thumb blown off. So uh, I don't know if we knew that Pollocat only had one thumb before, but he's, uh, he, this is, we do now. He's in very quickly, about three seconds before Pollocat is killed. He's like, I've yeah. got a special reason not to like you. And <laughs> yeah. It was only until quite late in the film that I realised that Pollocat was the, uh, was the justice of the peace that had his dad killed and then his his own throat cut. So I mean, you know, it wasn't it wasn't oh it wasn't overly clear to me that there was a uh, any, any additional kind of um, retribution needed. But you know, it it it, it that is what it is. That's a spaghetti western for you. So we arrive at the at the denouement, which is basically Tiguero and his bounty hunters have all the outlaws now tied up to the bar of the the local saloon. Yeah, you know, it's a really grim scene as well, isn't it? And all, the, all there, yeah. And all the the patrons of the saloon, that the ones who aren't involved in it at all, have also been tied up in the back. So they're hanging, they've got their arms tied up over beams, uh, like all the all the the whores and the the patrons um hanging in the in the back, waiting for this all to end. Um, and Silenzio now, you know, he's he's got his hand burned up. He's, his shoulders been wounded. He's not in a bad way. He's not in. Yeah, he's not in a good way. He's and not Paul, in a good he's, way. He's, he's going to fail. This is yeah. And Paul is basically saying, "Let's just get out of here. Let's go. We're just, just bugger off. We're not going to win this one." Um, and Silenzio, it might have been worth listening to Paulie. Yeah, I think she was on the right track there because Silenzio <laughs> marches up, um, full of full of good intentions, and is immediately gunned down quite efficiently. Yeah, yeah. and there's no there's no. Um, there's no ears and graces, is there? He doesn't get to fire a shot. What he, his his yeah. hand is 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 the only good working hand left hand is immediately shot by I think the brother of the bounty hunter he killed. Yeah. So and at then, that point, at that point, I'm thinking, how is he going to get out of this? Yeah. And then and he and does. Then to go shoot him in the head. <laughs> he yeah. Yeah. And then he dies. So the the main hero of the film, hero in the inverted commas, is shot dead. And when Pauline now throws herself on the on the body and tries to free his gun, and then she's shot as well, shot dead. <laughs> yeah. And then at which point the, the outlaws uh, who, who are there, um, the bounty hunters kind of turn on them and their last words are, please don't kill us, we want to live. And then yeah. they're all gunned down um, in this hail of bullets. And then as, uh, as, as, as uh, the bounty hunters all ride away and, and Tagiro is saying, oh, well, divvy up two of those each, it's all according to the law. And he, he takes away Silenzio's uh, Mauser pistol. And actually, as, as, as they ride away and Tagiro has his, his final victory, we can see reflected in the glass of the saloon all the innocent patrons who weren't involved in this were also gunned down as well in the in the bullets mm. Mm. and um 
we are we are given a postscript saying that this the Snow Hill massacre led to the end of this this uh, this immoral the bounty. bounty. Hunt, yeah, yeah. Um, but after that, it's just it fade to whiter than the snow, and that's that. It is quite a nihilistic end to a film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, I, I mean, it, that we'll get onto the themes and the analysis of the film, but that's possibly the grimmest denouement to a film I've seen in a long time. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a shock to me that I was. I was yeah, like, me too. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, even if it, I'd known, you know, even if I'd thought, you know, Silenzio was going to die, I would not find it would end quite like that in that manner. <laughs> he is, <laughs> he is just gunned down with no ceremony, and then everybody's yeah. killed, and, and then the only people living killed, yeah. are the bad guys. Yeah, uh, they, and the bad guys have won. Who are triumphant? It's not like the bad guys uh, have oh. denied their victory or anything. There's no, no victory. They have won. They've got their bounties. Yeah. Loco is several thousand dollars to the good. Um, yeah, and they're off. And he's got a new to, gun to the next town. He's got a new yeah. gun. They're off to the next town that they can destroy. Yeah. So that's that. Happy yeah. days. Happy <laughs> days. <laughs> the real downer. I'm glad that wasn't the Christmas month. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we changed the order so that Christmas would be happier, didn't we? <laughs> Well, there we go, Hugh. So, yeah, very good. So, um, you've 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 very skillfully navigated us through the um, the, the the wild terrains of of the Utah mountains. Um, it's it's time, I think, to take a break, have a nice cup of tea, recharge your batteries, um, sit in front of the fire if you've watched the film, um, and uh, we'll, we'll discuss the reasons why I chose it and the the, the themes of the film. Excellent. See you then. Welcome back, dear listeners. Uh, I hope you had a good break, fortified perhaps by a roast chicken or two. Um, <laughs> well, come to now to look at the uh, the the uh, the um, the analysis and the themes of the Great Silence. But before we do that, I'd like to invite James, who chose this film, to tell us why did you choose this film? Thanks, you. Well, or Questa, or or Quan, <laughs> or Quo. Well, whatever the time is for why the il grande silenzio yeah uh so thanks for that i'm not going to attempt any italian um I I italian, no. <laughs> <laughs> no i would go far to say that was an attempt was it that was more uh, like having a funny turn yeah it was yeah um why did i choose the great silence so well okay so a couple of things we don't um i, I think the western is a much underrated Maligned is probably the wrong word, but it's it's a, it's a genre of filmmaking which doesn't happen a lot now. It's not, um, it's not in fashion at all. And I was I was looking at the number of westerns that were made in two thousand uh, that have been made in two thousand and twenty. It's less than ten. Um, so I would it, suggest it, the reason for that is possibly because the superhero is the new western. Well, possibly, and we might we might come on to that in terms of moralisms and, and and stuff like that. And yeah, you might be right, but. I don't think superhero films carry the same darkness and moral ambiguity that westerns do. Um, I've, I've, and and also to be to be blunt, I don't watch a lot of westerns either. I, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the canon. I mean, I know, I know the big, I know the big ones, and of the spaghetti westerns, you know, I can, I obviously know the Sergio Leone's and and um, and those kind of films. But in, in general, westerns kind of they they miss me they miss me you know um and you don't see much of them anymore um and i wanted to watch i want to i want you to choose a western i wanted to watch a western that i didn't know 
anything about, um, but that still fitted within the Weekend at Crombie's type canon. So the Great Silence on its release on its release wasn't massively successful. It probably it probably was more successful than some of the the films that we've had, um, but but it, it certainly wasn't successful outside of Italy. Um, it wasn't actually released in the US until the 90s. Yeah, so it's um, successful, no one saw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, as, and, and it's only very recently had a bit more of a, a focus on it for, for various reasons, which, which we'll, go on, we'll go into. It's, it's garnered a bit of a cult following. Um, it's considered a very good example of the spaghetti western. But I also, within the context of that as well, wanted something that was also a little bit different. And when I was doing some research about what what I want, what I was really looking for with spaghetti westerns, and I saw the synopsis of of, of the Great Silence. I mean, only a very broad synopsis. I thought, well, that that looks quite like it might be quite an interesting film. On top of that, there are two actors in it that I really like: um, Jean Louis um, Trinitant and Klaus Kinski, um, who who I think are really, really, really great actors. Um, I don't know much about Sergio Corbucci, although I do know that he's made a number of very famous spaghetti westerns which have passed me by um Django probably being the most famous of them um and uh so I thought well you know what let's let's take the opportune moment to 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 really kind of invest a bit of time into into not just the western but the spaghetti western as well It's, it's a genre film I remember enjoying when I was younger but not really done much with since yeah, and again, I suppose this is a, a, if you like, a very spaghetti western. Oh, this is about as spaghetti as it gets. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> isn't, isn't it really? Um, Mr. Trick, though, the guy could have eaten spaghetti rather than big chicken. Uh, that would have been too obvious. Though, wouldn't it? That would have been too obvious. <laughs> um, so, I, I suppose before I get before I get into the themes of the film, right, yeah. I, I, w- I would like to say that there's something about there's something about spaghetti westerns. Uh, and there's something also about um, Italian horror films, which which befuddle me a little bit. So it, it, in the same way that um, for some reason, Italian Westerns have become a thing, the spaghetti Western, the giallo horror film, the Italian horror film is also a thing. Yeah. OK, so, you know, if you if you, if you if you like your horror, giallo horrors are a big subgenre of horror. And um, the, the, the thing that spaghetti Westerns and giallo horrors share is this weird it's kind of weird soundscape of um, subtitling, dubbing, using actors and actresses from you know all over the world, yeah. and either dubbing them into one language, or having them speak their own language but having an Italian dubbing over them. So it's almost like uh, hardly ever in a, in a spaghetti western. I mean, this great western, the Great Silence wasn't so bad at this, but you know I've seen some, particularly in the horror genre, where you're watching the film. The, the mouths are moving in particular ways. And I'm not saying that it's dubbed in English. It might be dubbed in Italian. You think, why is it dubbed in Italian? It's an Italian film. It's only when you realise that there's actors speaking English dubbed in Italian that you're then watching subtitles in or are watching a dubbed version of an English person speaking English. And so I never quite know what I'm supposed to be watching. Am I supposed to be watching the subtitled version? Am I supposed to be watching the dubbed version? Yeah. I don't know. I ended up going with the subtitled version because I feel like that's a more natural yeah. form of the film do you know what so i meant to i, I meant to ask you I meant to sure. ask that. yeah i meant to ask you that because we watched this independently and i watched the 
version where they are dubbed speaking Italian, but you read the English subtitles. That's the version I saw. Yeah, yeah which was in my assumption of the, the kind of the, the, tr- the truest way to watch it. But it could yeah. have been. For all I know, we could you could watch the English dubbed English speaking version and, and not well, as a, because as a, prim- as a prime example of this. Uh, about two weeks ago, I watched an Italian horror film called um, A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. All right, it sounds like a terrible <laughs> film. Pretty good film actually, but it was so it was set in London. Okay, it had. Some quite famous English actors in it. Jack Jack Warden is in it yeah. um, of Zulu fame, right? Um, and his voice is dubbed into English <laughs> by another actor. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. And then you've got Italian actors playing English characters who. Do you mean Jack Warden percent- from Jack? Not Jack Warden from Zulu fame. He wasn't in. Yes. Zulu. Oh no. Who's the guy? Jack. Um, who's the guy from Zulu? I know that you played the Reverend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jack Hawkins. Jack Hawkins, that's it. He was in it. Jack Hawkins, yeah, sorry. So he was he was dubbed into English, but he's English, so why is he dubbed into English? I don't get well, it. A A that might have been the way they do it, but actually if you're looking for an answer, I I may be right in thinking I should probably Google this. Jack Hawkins had throat cancer in late later life, so may have may have lost his speech. Maybe that's the case. But there were loads of other there were Italian actors playing playing English uh, um, characters yeah. dubbed into English. But then occasionally People would just talk, start talking Italian. <laughs> there'd be there'd be subtitles. I'm thinking, what the hell's going on? So anyway, a little bit of an aside, but I think I watched the version that I should have watched. Yeah, as, as but well, it's but... easy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did, but I, I, as I was watching the version, I was looking and seeing that in no way does the noise I'm hearing of the speeches <laughs> sync up with the way their lips are moving. Yeah, I so there was three simultaneously things happening. And if you looked at the lips, you weren't getting the sound. And if you were reading the words, you weren't getting that either. So it was a, it was probably the strangest dub from I've seen. Because normally, yeah. at least if they're speaking a foreign language, it's matching the lips. It's, it's somehow that feels more natural. It? Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, it was but like a lot of spaghetti westerns are like that. Even the big spaghetti westerns, like The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, Fistful yeah. of Dollars, for, you know, the, um, they're, they're all dubbed. Yeah. In some, I mean, they might be dubbed with the same actors' voices, but they're all dubbed. So it's they, it's just a stylistic point, I guess. Really, it, it feels uh, such like a, a yeah a classic spaghetti western. You don't really mind it. It doesn't look weird. Oh no, 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 it isn't. It's not poor filmmaking. It's the style of the film. I just don't know how it's got to that point. And when you couple when you couple the fact that I mean, for about the first twenty minutes of the film, I was utterly confused as to what was going on. There were so <laughs> many act, there were so many characters coming into and out of focus. Oh yeah, yeah, and also different groups of characters as well. I couldn't quite work out who was who and what was what it was only it was, it was a relief when they started from. killing each other because that because that narrowed the field yeah, yeah. it was it, for me it was when they started killing each other and the stagecoach scene really then started to define the characters yes. themselves and then i started to get into the flow of it a little bit more yeah. I, I every, kind of, yeah. I the yeah. rhythm because everyone, everyone is, is dubbed over everyone is wearing heavy overcoats mostly furs <laughs> and hats yeah, yeah. everyone is uh, with a few exceptions a white guy uh, with, with raggedy beards again it's, it's why you have people like pauline stand out um and why she's african american isn't she i mean yeah, Paul, we white. didn't mention it she, she's she's african-american which is unusual um yeah. for, for us to get arrested uh, but in, uh, i mean and, and outside of klaus kinski who's a very distinctive face yeah, yeah. um who, you know you kind of know who he is and if if you're a fan of um if you're a fan of French cinema, you know who Jean-Louis um, Trinitant is as well. He's a very famous actor of, of the kind of era, I suppose, yeah. but in lots of different films as well. So you kind of know who they are. But everyone else, they're just in big, heavy furs. They all look exactly the same. <laughs> it's really weird. 
So, like, you know, you've got to get through that a little bit, first of all, and kind of don't be disheartened in the first 20 minutes of being just totally kind of, where, what is this? Where is this going? Other than the fact that there's incredible snowscapes. Yeah. And, you know, it looks utterly, utterly terrifying. And I read somewhere, actually, that the um, the snowy scenes, a lot of the snowy scenes in town were made with um, foam. Oh, it wasn't even snowy. And I figured that was amazing because it looks utterly utterly freezing yeah it looks horrible it does it looks horrible anyway so a couple of things there that 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 i you know really i I needed to kind of get over a little bit with regards to the film in terms of the themes of the film itself that i I think there's 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 the ways in which it adheres to the spaghetti western tropes and the ways in which it counters the spaghetti western tropes which i think are quite interesting to, to to consider and there's also i think probably more than many other spaghetti Western films that I've seen. And I admit, I've not seen many. Um, the filmmaking politics of Sergio Corbucci are very, very on the nose in the film as well. So bit of a bit of a kind of context of this to begin with. Sergio Corbucci, a very um, political uh, figure in Italian filmmaking, um, very left wing politics, strident anti-capitalist. The, the film itself is one of those strongly allegorical films that you get um, where individual characters or groups of characters represent certain systems or processes. So, you know, f- for me, watching the film, it's very it's very clear that n- knowing the guy's politics, you've got you've got kind of authoritarian capitalism as exemplified by the monetary avarice of the bounty hunters, Tigrero, for example, yeah. and the, the state sponsored crimes of the banker in polycut i guess so that's that's one and they they absolutely behave within the context of the law the rule of law so they don't break the law in the film the point of the point of the film is that the the system is broken the system is the crime and they are characters that are born out of that system yeah because interestingly enough and very early on in the film as, as you're just trying to get your bearings you're introduced to the governor and the sheriff who are kind of you know gloating and, and laughing a bit about the outlaws and situation and i thought maybe the governor is is the big bad maybe he is the uh, the central antagonist that um, that silencio will, will face down but no he's in it for one scene and then goes and he's just there as the kind of the 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 oh he's over everything he's not even involved in it but it, he's shown as the malevolent presence who is causing all this strife and then has no his hands don't get dirty with it and he never no, you don't see it. you don't see him you yeah. don't see him, but he's effectively behind everything, right? So he's 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 the person you don't see, you never hear from again, but is running the show. And you've got the kind of lower level, you've got the lower levels of the system, the the, the banker, the bounty hunter, that are the ones driving what what the system is. So you know whatever your politics are, I think that's quite writ large in the actual film itself. And then in, into that kind of system, you've got you've got Silenzio, who himself isn't a virtuous character in any way, shape or form, but is in some way, uh, he's vigilante in that regard, but he's in some way trying to um, counter the effects of that kind of systemic approach. You've got the poor, i.e. the disenfranchised that have been exiled from Snow Hill or Snowy Hill um, because they can't afford to eat and they've been ostracised because they can't afford to eat and they are resorting to crime, theft in this particular instance, in order to satisfy their hunger or to sate their hunger and to sate the needs that they have. And that's allegorical in terms of sating the needs of that kind of authoritarian capitalist process. They are then, as a consequence of that, stigmatised 
Um, they are arrested, I mean, in principle, wanted dead or alive, arrested in principle, but more than likely shot and killed as part of the systemic process. Um, and then the, the next level, you have the, the heroic failures, I suppose. You have Pauline, the one left over at the end of it. And Silenzio kind of falls into that a little bit in the sense that he is, a, he is the closest thing, perhaps with the exception of the sheriff, but the closest thing we get in the film to a, a moral centre, not in his actions per se, not in his actions in terms of how he deals with 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 other people. He's effectively a bounty hunter. Yeah, to, you know, he's a bounty hunter basically. But he's prob- he he's really the only character in the film. He, he has redemption in the sense that he is the one that, despite knowing he's going to fail at the end of the film, he he's, he knows he's going to be killed. Still does what he thinks is the right thing to do, despite the protestations of Pauline at the point at which she is saying, "Don't do this. Don't go there. It's a trap." He goes anyway. Yeah, because I think he feels like he has to go. So in that regard, this well, is well, quite let's a dig into that because that that was one thing. One thing that I find in the analysis, I found it, I found his character a little hard to access, and not just because he was silent. I, I didn't completely understand why he was going there, other than the fact that's what would happen in a movie. You see what I mean? Like he was he was going there to face them down. But I don't know. I mean, what was driving him in the end to go on such an obviously suicidal run? So I don't know, but well, that 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 bit actually eclipsed me. Other than the fact, thinking, well, this is the end of the movie, and I thought he had a he had a trick up his sleeve, you know, he had a Clint Eastwood bulletproof vest or something on that would, that would allow him to gain. Because in many ways, I suppose he'd been he'd been contracted to kill Tigero, so the, the, kind of the contract was still open. But you know, he'd avenged himself on Polycat. You know, he and Pauline were free to go. You know, he'd, he'd found uh, he'd been a loner the whole movie, and he'd found someone. So in in many ways, you know, he was. He was ahead, and he could have he could have walked away from the table. So maybe he felt. I mean, that the, 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 there could be two readings of this. I don't think either would necessarily satisfy you per se. But the the, the first one could be that Silent sort of Silenzio feels that there's there's kind of no point in running because Tigrero is. He's, he's the he's the most bounty hunterish of all the bounty hunters, yeah. and so at some point he's going to catch up with them, and at some point there'll be a money on his head. So he might as well do it now. He might as well address it. Yeah. He might be thinking that. The other thing is that um, you, you mentioned the fact that that, that Silenzio is 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 there's a there's a there's a slight emptiness to the character because of his silence, and you know the the the, 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 the trope of silence in the in the characters is not unusual in spaghetti westerns, but it's unusual to this extent. Um, so this you know the, the man, thing, with no, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. man with no name. He, he he chooses not to speak, um, but he still speaks. Yeah, that's that's actually what I thought was 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 unique about Silenzio was the fact that he was unable to speak, which made him vulnerable. different from say a strong, yeah, vulnerable, not, not a strong, yeah. silent type. He couldn't speak, which again gave him a different angle, but also made it harder to access because he's 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 so limited in communication. Because he, again, he's he's not just a guy who can't speak; he's also a tough guy that doesn't emote. You know, he's, he's not free. Uh, he's a, yeah, no, he's not. So he's, he's not. Yeah, he's, he's not waving hands around, is he? Yeah, it's not like say again, um, Holly Hunter in the piano, where she's able to communicate quite easily without ever speaking. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. We, we have a hard time accessing what's in his heart and what's in his mind anywhere, other than simple simple lethality. I don't think I don't think sign language was common in the Wild West. To be honest, you didn't get a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and I think part maybe part of the fact that he can't speak and he's a genuine mute. I mean, he's not silent; he's a mute. It, it, it's that vulnerability, that kind of he's flawed, right? And so, uh, to what extent is that flaw something about self confidence? Something about the issue around actually, in the end, doing what he thinks is the right thing to do, even though he's no he knows he's going to fail. Yeah. He's also 
I mean, in some respects, Silenzio is a character who cheats, right? Because he has a semi-automatic. Yeah. Um, he, he's not. He, I mean, when we talk about him being the hero, he, he's not really the hero of the film. I'm not sure who the hero of the film is. I don't think it has a hero necessarily. Although you root for him, you yeah. root for Pauline, I suppose, to, to to a larger extent. You root for the sheriff at certain instances, but at, at the same time, he he. You know, he doesn't have a cult single action army revolver like most of them would have. He has a semi-automatic machine gun that yeah. is very easy in gunning people down. So he's kind of like a cheat in that regard, I suppose. But he is, he is though. But this is this is where the the, the the things flip a little bit. So you've got the silence of of the main character, which is quite counterintuitive. You've got the snowy landscapes or the snowscapes of the, the Utah mountains, which is a bit counterintuitive as well. We'll come on to the ending of the film, but you know, spaghetti westerns are bleak. They are bleak um, because it's all about violence. It's all about avarice. But this is particularly bleak, which I think ratchets it up a level. But it, th this film does share a lot of the same tropes in the kind of the, 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 the guy comes into town and tries to clean things up a little bit. You know, that's a very common theme in Spaghetti Western and not just American, uh, sorry, not just Italian films. Um, so if you look at Italian films, you've got A Fistful of Dollars, for example, you know, the, 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 the uh, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, all of those ones. But you've got American kind of Westerns like Shane as well, um, uh, uh, Pale Rider, which do similar things. You've got Japanese films like um, Seven Samurai or Yojimbo by Kurosawa, who do similar things as well. So I think there's, there's, something, there's something about that bleakness, but about this idea that someone comes into town and cleans up the mess. And this is kind of anti-authoritarian as well. And it does strike me that the two, the, the two kind of cinematic behemoths of the time making these types of films are the Italians and the Japanese. The Italians in the spaghetti western genre and the Japanese in the samurai genre. And they're two... They're two uh, former superpowers that were humiliated during the war. Um, and part of me thinks that this is about that kind of national expulsion of guilt, about individuals coming in, cleaning up the system, cleaning up what was fascist processes beforehand. So you've got, you've got directors like Corbucci, fervently left-wing. You've got directors like Kurosawa, fervently left-wing, dealing with those kind of stories. It's of its time, absolutely, but this is built, it's built into the fabric of the filmmaking style, I think. Mean. That's interesting. I haven't thought of that. Um, the, 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 the allegory is certainly clear there. The, um, the oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely clear. Um, I, I mean, that, that's, my, that's my opening gambit. I mean, the bleakness <laughs> of the landscape and the cold nature of the film does, does kind of dovetail and compliment the chilly ending. I, I kind of want to. I want to come to the ending separately yeah. uh, because it's it's so it's so specifically weird and yes. grim that I think it deserves a more detailed conversation. But I, you know, that's my opening gambit. What are your thoughts okay. of the film? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll hold off from the ending then. Um, I thought yeah. in terms of um, let's go for character. What, yeah. what 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 I took away from that was. Um, Klaus Kaczynski kind of steals the show in this. Um, I thought Tigrero was was just larger than any other character in, in in the movie, which again is again the Silenzio. I guess he he had limited space to work. Again, I, I didn't. I had you not told me he was a good actor, I'd have thought maybe he'd been you know, cast for a one off just to to play the part because I didn't. I didn't feel he managed to to overcome the the restrictions. Unlike, for example, the man with no name. Um, yeah. You, you you got to act beyond that, and it is harder acting in 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 snow when everyone's in big heavy clothes, and it's all yeah. it's so oppressive. It's like it's somehow when you're in the desert, 
you you can be you can be big in the space but when the snow is pushing everything down you have to you have to push out from it i thought klaus kinski managed to do that because he's so unique looking and and was dressed in such a remarkable way and got to do basically the crazy things he got to do all the fun stuff he was basically gunning the people down and and you know um, yeah being eccentric and and just making fun of people and all this kind of stuff i mean if you if you're hiring klaus kinski you're hiring Klaus Kinski, right? You're not. You, I don't really think you're hiring the cat. Klaus Kinski plays Klaus Kinski. I mean, he's great at yeah. being Klaus Kinski, and he's always really entertaining in in all the films I've seen him in. He's he's a force of nature, yeah. but he's always Klaus Kinski, right? So that's that's just what you get with that. Um, Trudy Tant's an interesting one because he, he's an actor who I think in the time that this was made was was outside of the Hollywood system. You know, maybe one of two of the biggest actors in the world at yeah. the time right um and probably could have commanded any any film you, you know you could have made it in hollywood without a doubt um but um so it, there's something counterintuitive about him being cast as a mute because he's known for his kind of rasping kind of sexy voice his good looks and here he plays someone without any of that i'm trying to think of a modern comparison where a big famous actor has been cast in a role deliberately counterintuitively to them I can't yeah. think of one off the top of my head. Maybe Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder, you know, something yeah. like that. But, you but think, that, oh, but it's that a real was, shock. Yeah, but that, that was deliberate. almost done as a stunt, wasn't it? That was to, that was to oh, show, yeah. oh, look, I can do that. But you're right, yeah. something, something, something cast complete against type. I mean, I suppose it's nowhere comparison, but say Chris Pratt was cast as a as an action hero when previously everyone thought he was the schlubby yeah. psychic. Yeah, it's something like it's, that. It's yeah. not, but much more so. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd be thinking, yeah, if, if Tom Cruise had actually made a career out of saying Paul Blatt Mall Cop. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you're right. So, again, that's, I, I didn't take that, not knowing the actor. Um, I guess they, he, he did a good job of things, but it, again, it, just, it was so hard to feel his, because it's called Il Grande Silenzio, his name's Silence. He is he is the moral centre mm. of the movie. You'd think it would be all about him. And it was very hard to get get in on him, you know, as I, I'm watching the protagonist. It, we, we, again, it felt like more of an ensemble with, again, with. Um, again, you had Pauline, you had Silenzio, you had uh, the sheriff, you had De Guerrero. There was a lot going on in there, and it didn't feel like um, it was just about the one character. But yeah, so in addition to, to Guerrero, who again is all called Loco, I assume in the English dub, because um, I, I, yeah. when I read about it, he's referred to as Loco, but I didn't think he was called that. But this is no, he wasn't. I only know him as T. Guerrero because I saw that that's what he is as subtitles, right? Yeah, I mean, so I think yeah. this might be a, a confliction of, of the dub because I think he's called Loco yeah. in the English dub. But yeah. um, again, go back to the, the sheriff's character. I was. I was surprised to to be a little bit wrong-footed with the sheriff because mm. you see him first and he's in the company of the of the governor. Then he is shown to be a competent, or he says he's a competent gunslinger and he's certainly brave enough to be because his face is down the outlaws, even though they get the better of him. Then he's shown to be a good shot when he, um, you know, his friend, he was Silencio and he's doesn't like to grow. So he goes through all these things and he's never, he never tilts too far in one direction. And you think of this being a, a yeah. allegory um, you'd think, you know, the the embodiment of of you know, the guy who protects law and order would be much more villainous. He'd either be mm. drunk and ineffective, or corrupt, or or a bad guy as well with the others. And in this, it's more like he's just a guy trying to do the best job under hard circumstances. Can, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. it makes a bit of a mess of it, but but not for want of yeah. trying. 
I think in some respects, he is the most sympathetic character in the film. I mean, notwithstanding, I suppose Pauline, you would argue, is is intended to be the most sympathetic character she's, in the film. She's, mostly, she's mostly all victim. There's very little... Yes, time. yes. It, yeah, she, tries, she tries to take uh, agency of her own. She is defined by her initial loss and she vengeance. Is. And it, uh, vengeance plays a big part in this movie. Everyone is on for vengeance. You normally... Oh, if, if someone is killing someone, it's likely because they killed someone else that they loved before that. Well, it's, it's a spaghetti western. I mean, it, yeah. it is it is about vengeance it, that's it's about it's bloodlust vengeance that's what it's about you, right. you know what you're going to get yeah. but the, the sheriff here is, is probably the most relatable um in the fact yeah that's, just, that's a better word yeah he is just doing a job he's not he's not mm. after vendetta or vengeance he hasn't taken a great loss he's just in a in a place where he's been sent to do a job you know he's, he's met a lady he's getting on with he's almost like building a little life for himself and he's trying to stand up for himself and, and do that job. And it's funny, he's he's the, was the least charismatic character. And he's no Klaus Kinski. He's not uh, Jean-Louis Trudeau. <laughs> no, no. he's, he's a middle-aged guy with a bit of a daft moustache who, who acts a bit buffoonish sometimes and sometimes makes a fool of himself. But ultimately, you think he's probably more everyman. He, in fact, yeah, yeah. he is the everyman who just gets brushed aside by the, the tougher guys. I mean, he he might he might literally be the pig farmer. Yes. Do, do, do you know what I mean? He's he's yeah. And you you kind of also get the impression that he's he's a, he's an unwilling protagonist in this as well. He's been this has been thrust upon him. He's not keen to do this, yeah. but the fact that he has this role, he he will do it yeah. the, to the best of his damned ability, and that isn't always very good. Yeah. Um, but again, is is. It's it's actually, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brains. It's unusual to have in a western a middle of the road sheriff. They're either sort of tragically heroic, <laughs> yeah. like say I knew, or they're, they're utterly corrupt and evil. And yeah. the, the other yeah. sheriff is just trying to get by, and he probably won't get it done, but he's trying. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's quite unusual, really. And it's it's yeah. it was in, interesting in, in a movie that is you know full of tropes. That was that struck me as actually I've not seen that often before. No, you're right. Yeah, he, 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 he is he is a middle of the road sheriff, isn't he? Right. Yeah. There's nothing bombastic about him, particularly um, apart from when he's shooting potatoes, of course. <laughs> um, he's very good at shooting potatoes. potatoes and shooting back. I mean, I, I could probably get the drop of a few potatoes. Yeah, really? That's impressive. I really? Really like. the, the produce aisle of the Tesco's. I could you know, just ambush them. It'd have, to be, a big, it'd have to be a big potato. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could get the better of a big potato. Yeah, you, I can put that on my CV. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I wonder whether I wonder whether it's worth moving on to the the the, the denouement of the film. Yeah, let's, let's take the elephant in the room here. What yeah, I, in the last three minutes of that film. <laughs> so I, I, I it's the I, last I, few minutes too. It's not yeah, like yeah, yeah. it happens and you are fifteen minutes into it, or you have no, every time. It is just three minutes and off you go. Out you go. Lights on. Get out. I think that, I think that's the hardest part of it. Actually, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not that that happened. I mean, that could happen in a spaghetti western. That could happen in any film. It's that it happens so brutally right at the end of the film that it gives you no time to recover your senses. You're and then the you're you're out the film thinking, well, what? Oh, hang on, no, she doesn't. Don't they ride out on a horse or something? What? what, what? You're, not, you're not. You're not even given. You know, five minutes later, where Pauline is laying roses on on Silenzio's grave, you know, saying, "Now you can be silent forever, mi amore." And it's not even that. It's it's just she's killed too. It's like everyone's dead, and and even everyone's the, dead. Yeah. And, and the reflection in the mirror of even the patrons who oh, are, are the most innocent in the town that were just there in the gunfire, they're killed too. Uh, now, now. I was racking my brain to think of, of uh, uh, an ending to a film that's more grim and more nihilistic to that. And I, I can't think of many, but there is one film 
um, that I can think of which tops it. I mean, it tops it. It tops it big time, but it tops it. So have, have you ever seen The Mist? I've not um, seen The Mist. Okay, so Stephen King novel adapted into a film um, about 2008, 2009. Um, it's got... Uh, Thomas Jane in it. Um, okay. It's got t- Toby Jones in it. You know, it's, it, it's low low budget horror film, but did quite. You had it did quite well at the box office. Oh, I must uh, have uh, missed that. You, you, oh, very good. And now I, I'm going to do some spoilers here. So um, okay. you know, Close it, I, I, I have to I have to tell you what happens at the end of the film to make okay. this make sense. But basically, okay. this mist descends upon this town, and in the mist are I- incredibly dangerous aliens right and they kill everybody and there's no escape from it there's no escape from it the whole of the world is covered in mist and what happens in the end is that um these these characters are holed up in a supermarket that they're all in the supermarket they they're killed one by one in the end uh, the father played by thomas jane his two children and uh, a, a teenage girl decide to make a run for it they get to their car and they are driving off and the mist goes on and on and on. They go to their family house. His wife has been killed. Um, it's it's disaster. He decides the best thing to do would be to kill everyone in the car. So he kills his children. Then he turns the cat. Then he turns the gun on himself. And you think, oh, that's bad. And then the mist clears, and a tank full of people who have been saved drive past this car <laughs> with the dead family and this teenage girl in it. And then the film ends. Oh my god, that is dark. Right. That is that is Jesus Christ. And I, I, I was like, oh, my God. And I don't mind dark endings to films, but I felt I felt cheated in that because it was like a gimmick. This didn't feel like a gimmick per se. Yeah. I will add to that. You know, yeah. I think this is a genuine this is a genuine attempt, not necessarily to shock the audience, yeah. but to make a statement in the film. And by goodness, it does that. Yeah. So there are a couple of things I wanted to add to the ending of the film, which kind of link into my points at the start of the film. So I apologize if I get a little bit serious, uh, but I think, I think that the ending does kind of define this a little bit. So in the period of time that Corbucci made the film, so it was, it was in production for about eight months, Malcolm X, Robert Kennedy and Che Guevara were all assassinated. Um, The sixties in general was quite a volatile political time in terms of, of, of things like that. You had Martin Luther King, obviously JFK, you know, I'm, I'm talking, I'm teaching uh, a history buff to suck eggs here, but (laughs) you've got the late, the late sixties where those kind of assassinations were happening, particularly at the point at which this film was made, you had three key, key players in revolutionary politics, maybe Robert Kennedy less so, but certainly Malcolm X and Che Guevara and Corbucci's empathy for these characters. And the fact that these were killed, these were assassinated by the state system which the bounty hunters and Klaus Kinski in particular represent was his point of saying, actually, this is how this film would end because this is how life ends in this system. Um, And so Silence and Pauline are killed by the bounty killers who are working as part of that state system. Um, and it's a little bit different to the kind of films that were taking place in the 60s that had these kind of downbeat endings. So Night of the Living Dead is a good example of a, a, a film where, spoiler alert again, at the end, the main character gets killed. And you've been with this main character for the whole film and you think, wow, it's brilliant. Fantastic. He survived and he gets shot by the sheriff at the end. You know, he's not a zombie. The guy thinks he's a zombie. Yeah. He shoots him. And there are racial undertones there as well. Oh, God, uh, yes. But, uh, yeah, racial undertones there. But this... 
But this isn't a lone gunman. This is the system doing it, right? So this is what's different about the Great Silence. Um, the same things happen. Similar things happen in Easy Rider as well. I think um, with Dennis Hopper's character and Peter Fonda's character killed, but they're killed by kind of crazies, right? So um, it's a slightly yeah. different process. But you get another famous Western, The Wild Bunch, ends in a massive bloodbath. That's it. Yeah, but that, but that, yeah, but that is almost that is portrayed as a as a as a climax it is just guns and guns and guns and guns for a very long time and a lot of people are getting killed and, and it's stylistic enormous, and it's it? stylistic and it's not if it if the wild bunch had ended with again the, the remaining wild bunch just getting shot in two minutes and then the movie's cutting that would yes. have been more shocking yeah yes. because, because it's exactly this it's literally literally like it's ending like that and you think it they can't end like that because actually there is i don't know if this is apocryphal there was a rumor that there was an alternative ending shot where, um, you know, the sheriff yeah. dripping wet it, comes to his rescue, having escaped not, his watery it, grave. Yeah, yeah, uh, huge. It's, it's in it's in the DVD. It's in the is DVD. It? Is it? I watched, I watched it. Yeah, I watched it. Oh no, I didn't see that. <laughs> it. There's no sound to it, but what happens is that the sheriff, dripping wet on the horse, rides into town, shoots all of the bounty hunters, releases the the captive outlaws and everybody basically just kind of walks off slightly dazed smiling hey, hey into the into the it's ridiculous but it's totally not appropriate for the film yeah, so despite it now, but yeah. Yeah, yeah despite the ending being as grim as it is it kind of does fit into the tone of the film it's chilly right it's yeah, chilly yeah. It, um, but it, it's chilly, but I've never been so thrown in because I was, I was I was bouncing along with the movie and quite enjoying it, and you know, and I, I knew where it was going, and I knew there was a bad guy, and by this point, it was the denouement. We'd, we'd killed all the lesser characters, and here it is, good guy, bad guy. He's making his lone walk, and then yeah, you're, rubbing, hands, hands, just, you're rubbing your hands, you're sitting down, thinking, here we go, here we yeah, go. Yeah, but this one, I'm thinking, yeah. okay, his hands injured. How is he going to overcome an injury? What I'm thinking, to yeah, do yeah. against how, what, what's he going to do? What tricks is he going to do? Oh no, his other hand's been shot. Hang on, hang on. he's dead. What? <laughs> They're all she's dead. dead. <laughs> he's dead she's dead they're all dead yeah is that and then the credits come up i literally at that point had to, had to pause the dvd and see how much time was left and when i found out it was 30 seconds it was like <laughs> okay i wonder, wonder, yeah, wonder what was gonna be crammed in um although again we'll finish this off when you say it ends there is some degree of resolution in that a, a a postscript comes up as they're all walking away saying the the snow hill massacre um was, was such an outrage it caused you know these bounty hunting ways to be ended but yeah. i'm not entirely sure there, there was that's a historical because i've looked around for it i don't think there was a snow hill massacre no, it's, no it's, so, so, it's, it's like that bit in fargo at the start of fargo where the, the the title card comes up and says this is a true story and it isn't yeah. um so, so, that, so that's apocryphal but it's almost like it's meant to give you a, maybe a little, they put that yeah. instead of the alternate something. ending saying it's saying like well it, they all died but it it's like um the end of the valentine's day massacre film when they've all just been gunned down but then a voiceover comes and this caused the end of organized crime because it was so horrible <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah and so you at least go away with some crumb of solace yeah. <laughs> um you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah it, it's 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 not but i suppose the question i'd ask you though is does that make it does is the ending bad so so is I don't know what the answer is to it because I've I've been struggling with this a little bit and and I'm I, I'm 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 struggling a little bit to kind of pin my um pin my what is it pin my sails to the mast is that right colours to the mast colours to the mast pin my sails to the mast what's that uh, in, in terms of where I'm landing on this film and the ending plays a big role in 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 where I see it I don't I mean the, the ending is a decision right it's a decision to end the film like that does it negate does it negate me being quite engaged in the film beforehand? Does it matter that I've? Does it matter that I end the film in an 
uh, a state of kind of depressed bewilderment if that's the purpose of the director and i don't know that it does matter so i'm i'm confused it confuses me right not sure how to think about the film as a result it's the whole film is defined by the ending yeah see i i i think yeah again we've had a few films like this where it's been deeply uncomfortable but you know that's how you are kind of meant to feel i mean um Bamboozled is one, which is not a comfortable watch, but you, no, your experience of it is, you feel like it's the directorial intent to, to make you feel that way. And, and um, it doesn't mean that it's not, it doesn't, doesn't mean that it's not worth watching, or that it isn't a good film. Yeah, um, and, and this, this I feel is, is a similar type. It's, it's, it's all about that ending. Um, yeah, it's, it it's is all leading up to that, and it, it, it makes you feel the way the director intends you to feel. So how you how, so how you come away from that is your your own choice. But the, the director is is achieving what he wants to achieve with it. Yeah. Um. I, I, so yeah, I I, I I I agree completely with that. Um. Are, are there any are there any films that you would recommend watching with this film? I mean, I'd, I'd have a strong drink after it. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a sip and whiskey. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's there's. I'm just thinking of the various ones. There's Shane. Um, mm-hmm. Fistful of Dollars, The Cowboys could be one, the John Wayne one. That's quite yeah. an interesting one to compare it with. Um, again, other ones to compare it with like that. Um, so for me, I, I would go, I would, I, I would go with the, um, the Japanese tradition of, of similar types of tropes. So I, I would certainly look at Yojimbo or Sanjuro by Kurosawa. They're both very good um, in the samurai tradition, but but have that kind of connection to the to the. Um, Stranger coming into town and cleaning things up. Pale Rider is another one. The um, the the Easter film. The the one film that we've not mentioned that um, is 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 one of the reasons why it has developed a little bit of a cult following is because the Hateful Eight, which is the the, the term. Yes, film, I did wonder about that. Is 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 a is a, 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 apparently a, a, a bit of a homage to the Great Science. I didn't know this when I chose the film. It's only actually only until after watching the film that you think. And you realise, oh right, okay, yeah, I can see where that's coming from. Now, I don't know if you've seen the Hateful Eight. I think the Hateful Eight is, I think the Hateful Eight is brilliant. Um, to, 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 to pin my colours to the master, I think the Hateful Eight is one of one. I think it might be Tarantino's best film, in my view. Um, it's one of my favourite films. I think it's an absolutely brilliant exposition of everything that Tarantino stands for, the good and the bad, in a film which makes sense. Um, it's better than The Great Silence, in my mind. Um, but you can certainly see where the, the links are in that. Um, you can certainly see, certainly the snow, the snowbound setting. The thing about The Great Silence is, despite it being set in the Utah mountains, it's very claustrophobic. You know, it's, yeah. it's, and the same thing is with The Hateful Eight as well. You know, it's set in one room. The Great Silence isn't quite, but you've got the stagecoach, you've got outhouses, you've got the, um, the, the, the saloons, you, you know, you've got the brothel, you've got the, the cramped houses, you've got the close-ups very claustrophobic so I, I i would go with yojimbo sanjuro pale rider and the hateful eight i mean that's a that's a hefty western weekend but uh, those are the ones i with. <laughs> yeah do you know what? i'd sworn off tarantino after once upon a time in america but i, I might watch the hateful eight after all and break that rule because it does sound like something i'd rather watch um it is really i mean i, I really enjoy it. it's it got one of yeah. the greatest lines in cinema history as well which i won't spoil yeah. if you like it but it's it's, it's very good it's i'll very give it good. well yeah yeah, do, okay. do, do, do yeah. well if you can spare three hours. It is a long film. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, it is good. I like it. I'm, I'm quite a fan of Tarantino. Yeah. So, yeah. three hours again. Okay. I'm, I'm reaching the time of my life now where you know you just, you're just draining life from me if you go over the two hours. It's like <laughs> I'm not a young man anymore. I don't have the three hours left to live. <laughs> Watch it over three nights. 
can't, I can't break up a movie like that. No, so. I can't. No, no. What's, what's the point? You might as well watch a TV program. <laughs> okay. Have we all are we all analysed out, or should we uh, should we head to the scores? Uh, let's go to the scores. I, I think um, I we've think done that like good heft. So we'll, we'll we go have, to... we have, yeah, we have. We've 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 heaved the the rotting carcass of the great silence onto the stagecoach <laughs> of Weekend at Crombie's um, scores. <laughs> I think I can stretch a metaphor any further than that. <laughs> Join us after the break. Welcome back as we head into the final tranche of uh, our November episode where we will give the scores for how we felt about The Great Silence. As always, we will be scoring out of uh, five floating crombie heads. Half marks are not permitted. James, would you like to lead off? Okay. I I was kind of hoping that our conversation would help crystallise in my mind where I might land with the Great Silence. It hasn't really done that, I have to say. Uh, And I think I think it's partly because the film is defined so much by a a an ending which is both shocking, necessary within the context of the film, I think, but definitely very shocking. that, that said, um, the film is really interesting. I'm glad I've watched it. It was worth talking about as well. There's a lot going on in it, and it was an enjoyable film. I don't think it's quite the classic that um, its cult followers would purport it to be, so I'm going to give it three disembodied crombie heads. Three, very good. Um, interestingly, I, I had a similar response. <laughs> the, our discussion hasn't changed uh, how I'd feel about it when I initially wrote down my score after first seeing it. Um, I wonder again, I, I'm recalled when I first saw a fistful of dollars, which was obviously many years after it had made and was, you know, was expected to be that classic Western that I'd heard so much yeah. about. And even though I could appreciate it, it didn't hit me quite so hard because it had influenced so much subsequently. I, it, it, yeah. you know, the, the tropes to me, even though they were new at the time, seemed cliched. And I think this, though obviously less influential, might have been the same. I wasn't, though the ending is utterly shocking. A lot of the nihilism, you know, the, the grim darkness has been, is now quite common in movies anyway. So it's not mm. like a massive shock. It wasn't like you'd gone from seeing, say, High Noon to this. And you're like, oh my God, this is different. <laughs> um, so, uh, so so that didn't quite impact on me. The, the, again, there were some good performances. Uh, the very nice cinematography. I felt, again, it, it didn't, quite hold together it was in there was interesting bits that led to a very emotional finish but mm. in terms of a, a coherent movie didn't quite land for me so i think three out of five is also my score very good and just before we do move on there's one thing i forgot to mention as well the soundtrack is um, composed ah, by yes. um, ennio morricone whose birthday is today Happy birthday. The, t- t- he's 90 is he still alive he is indeed. Good on him. I wish we'd planned that. We had not planned that in any way. This, nope, was, this, this date landed. Mind yeah. you, if you listen to this, it's not his birthday. With this, yeah, exactly. this date of recording, it's his birthday. <laughs> yeah. We could have just said anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I suppose, like, yeah, if you listen to it every year on this day, it's true. the 10th of November, it will yeah. be his birthday. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> I could rush to get it out now in the next hour of editing it together just so we could hit his oh, birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he'd be too bothered, to be honest. I don't think he will. I'd not be a fish to fry. Yeah, exactly. He's already listened to 33 other weekend at Crombies. He can he can wait. Mind you, his the music we should mention is fantastic and very oh, spaghetti wrestling. He is kind of the, he is he's the John Williams of the spaghetti wrestling. <laughs> he is, isn't he? It's very Morricone, but it is good for that. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, without further ado, we're going to hear what we're going to be watching for our Christmas oh, episode. Be still my beating heart. The <laughs> last film of the year. I, I it took some picking, to be honest. And uh, well, I was thinking, actually, I was thinking, because we've, we've lost a, a Hollywood great recently in Sean Connery. Oh. And I know that when we previously lost a, a, a comedic giant in Terry Jones, you chose Eric the Viking. I was wondering whether it might be a Sean Connery film this year, this month. But uh, we will be put out of our misery soon, I'm sure. Yes, uh, well, um, it's not. <laughs> partly because, well, partly because I was I was looking for a Christmas movie again. I will give my I was looking, it's a Christmas movie, and it uh, you know according to our weekend at Crumbies criteria, that's actually quite hard to come by. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll we'll discuss it next next month. But next month we will be watching the Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh, ah, the Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh, uh, Samuel, the ubiquitous Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson, indeed. Gina Davis, lovely, very good. Uh, so join us then. Um, but until then, uh, I hope you're keeping warm uh, <laughs> and uh, and well fortified with all the chickens you require. As uh, we wish you a very pleasant and a very hopeful weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Well, what it is is that I'll eat the at the time of eating the pizza, I'll yeah. be in giddy in the moment, <laughs> in the most cheesy heaven, and as a consequence of that, I will know, I will understand some abstract concept of liking pizza, but I won't be able to tell you why or what it is until I have another one. 